All right, well, good evening, everyone. Uh, sorry about the music screen. Whatever program that was kept timing out, uh, but Isaac came to the rescue and fixed it both times. Um, not something we've encountered before, but I'm sure Roger will spend the next uh, week figuring it out so it doesn't happen again. So, uh, but we're certainly glad that it's there and um, we're able to worship together, even though we're not uh, together. But as Paul said, that he was with uh, the, the, the churches in spirit. And I guess that's, um, that's our, our gig for now. So, well, um, as you know, the, the government's definition of a lockdown is changing. And though the shelter in place remains, uh, there are, they are granting more liberties, which I'm thankful for. Uh, but I'm not sure how much more I can, I can handle. Um, yeah, we don't know when they will permit uh, larger numbers to, ga- to gather. We don't know if it's going to go from 10 to 20 or 25 to 50 or what it is. But um, uh, the elders and I, we, we would really like your prayers so that as they uh, progress with all of that, that we'll uh, be able to come up with a game plan so that we can cautiously and wisely uh, get back together for worship and fellowship. Uh, I was in a, a Zoom uh, a meeting today with about five other Calvary pastors in the area and uh, just talking about really what everybody else is considering. Uh, no uh, decisions came to the table from anyone really, uh, but uh, we're just trying to think ahead and be prepared for what we're able to do and able to do wisely in honor of the scriptures and, uh, and in keeping with our responsibility to obey the government. So be praying for all of us. Uh, we want to do what's right. We want to do it well. And uh, we want to do what's best for the people of God. So also, uh, I would like to know what uh, many of you are thinking about getting back together, uh, regardless of what stage it may be or whatever, but just how people are feeling. Uh, I've spoken to a number of people that are really just chomping at the bit to be back together, and then I've talked to other people that are very reluctant uh, in getting back together, and there doesn't, there's no consistency with the age of people and uh, what they want, uh, the demographic or whatever, it's just people of all ages, uh, of all demographics, uh, have a wide range of opinions, but I'm curious about what, what you, you are thinking. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, please send me your thoughts uh, rather than uh, by texting or whatever or calling me. Please email me, and uh, that'll give me time to sort through them uh, as I can. I might regret the number of emails that I get, but I do want to hear from you, and uh, reading your emails will definitely be better, be better than uh, reading the mail. Uh, not the mail, but the news. So please write. Uh, Now, for a number of reasons uh, that have unraveled this week, our time together tonight will definitely be more like a a sermonette or a devotional, Uh, but I want to be thorough. I want to provide some examples. I've been uh, thinking about uh, just various um, examples of how this all, um, at least this passage that we're in, how it would play out in our lives, how it has played out, and um, so yeah. So, um, yeah, hoping that this creates conversation in your home and, and has caused all of us to be just more intentional about God's word. So let's uh, read again the whole section, as I know you're memorizing it and you don't need to read from the text itself, but uh, we'll, come, uh, we'll read it and then we'll come back to our primary text. Uh, 
Um, I'll be reading God's word to you from the English Standard Version, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Paul begins, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Well, Father, as um, Roger and I frequently pray and talk about, uh, Lord, we can't possibly, from where we're at, know all of the needs of everyone in the church. And that's really not uh, possible for us, and it's really not our job. But Lord, you do know, and, uh, and you don't know in some passive sense. You know in a very intimate and personal sense. So I pray, Lord, that as people tune in with us, uh, when they give their time to your word and prayer, Lord, that you would meet their needs, that you would, by your spirit, have fellowship with them, that you would impart grace to them. And, uh, and Lord, we trust that tonight, as we've worshiped together, that you would minister grace to us. And Lord, as we spend time in your word, that uh, you would teach us and uh, that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, bless us, we pray. And Lord, as the days unfold and the weeks and uh, decisions will be made, uh, Lord, we want to be um, useful for your glory, useful for people. So just be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please return, if you would, to verse 15, where Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Uh, one of my favorite um, uh, Greek scholars named A.T. Robertson, uh, he's been gone for some years now, he's with the Lord now, but he translates the literal sense of the passage this way. He says, rejoicing with rejoicing people, weeping with weeping people. <clears throat> now, uh, in the ESV and many other translations, it comes across more as a imperative or a command, a prescription. But the literal rendering of it is not that way. In verse 14, uh, Paul actually broke away from describing what, Christian beha- what Christians behave like and he gave a clear prescription for how Christians must behave toward those who persecute us. We are commanded to bless them and not to call curses down on them. That's a command. But when Paul comes to verse 15, he actually reverts back to describing rather than prescribing 
Christian behavior, <clears throat> as he did in verse uh, 9 through 13. Uh, there's not a huge difference between them because whether it's a prescription or a description, Paul intends, us, uh, to, intends for us to conform our lives to each. But with a prescription, or we might say an imperative or a command, it really is more forceful. Paul wants us to pay closer attention. Now, be that as it may, Paul has gone back to describing what uh, the proper Christian conduct looks like, <clears throat> trusting that we will observe and, and really do likewise. In verse 15, uh, we see that godly people, they rejoice with those who rejoice and they weep with those who weep. That's just what Christians do. If someone from the outside uh, if, if someone who was completely unfamiliar with Christians was assigned the task to uh, uh, go into a particular culture society and within that culture identify who the Christians are and then d describe how they behaved, uh, Paul is saying this is what they ought to see. And so to us, Paul is saying that there are good reasons to rejoice and there are good reasons to weep and it's for us to discern which to do when everything has its context, uh, its context, but at times we as people, of course, need direction to discern between them. Here, Paul is encouraging believers to join with other believers appropriately, whether those believers are in a festive state or it's during a time of weeping and mourning. Uh, just, now, just as all uh, the different parts of the body experience life together, so to the body of Christ is in it together. Uh, this was illustrated very clearly uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul said this. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, that is the body of Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Therefore, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, and verses 26 and 27. Uh, Paul's really saying the same thing <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 12 as he's saying here in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. If, if the church is really living as the body of Christ, it will live life together, rejoicing as a whole and really weeping as one at the right time and in its proper context. But really, not everyone is a good student of context. Now, I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence, but I've been around long enough to know that things need to be said. Uh, rejoicing is really the opposite of weeping or mourning. People rejoice when they are glad and they mourn when they are sad. And the two don't really fit well together when occupying the same space at the same time. And we as Christians are called to do one or the other, not based upon how we feel, but on how others feel. The instruction here is not to be the one who dictates the mood, but to accompany others in what they're experiencing. We're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to be weeping with those who are weeping. We need this instruction because 
Well, we just, we don't always get it. Uh, there are those who are uh, super spiritual and they think that we should infuse rejoicing in the context of mourning. But that really flips Paul's instruction on its head as if he said, rejoice with those who are mourning. Uh, you know, super spiritual people would like us to always rejoice because to them, mourning is a lack of faith, as if they know better than Paul. And I've been around my share of super spiritual people. Uh, I had some friends once, not from this church, who refused to mourn the death of a church leader because it would reveal a lack of faith. They insisted we should trust God to raise him from the dead. So to them, there was no place for mourning, just believing, which was really just the power of positive thinking. It was crazy, uh, not because God can't raise the dead when he wants to, but because it was clearly a time for mourning. It was a time for sadness and weeping. So while some of us were trying to mourn the loss of a loved one, these people were acting like cheerleaders trying to pump us up for a resurrection. And it was just sad in its own right. Uh, they were clearly confused. I always imagine that people who have recently died and gone to heaven, uh, that they're pleading with the Lord not to honor the prayers of those on earth. You know, whatever you do, Lord, don't send me back to that place, please. Uh, anyway, some people think we should be rejoicing when we should be clearly weeping. But we can't obey the word if we're rejoicing when people are weeping. Now, something that is always made me curious is what we call a celebration of life after someone has died. Now, I know that we're not celebrating because they died. It's just an interesting concept to me, and I'm not, I'm not completely sold on the idea. Uh, it's curious to me because in the scriptures, there's only mourning and weeping after death, even when the living know that the, 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 the deceased are with Christ. Celebration of life sounds like an event for happy thoughts, in spite of reality. In the scriptures, a celebration was never the habit of God's people after the death of a loved one. But I understand the sentiment. Uh, we should certainly be comforted that our loved one is with Christ. Um, we should be glad that they're delivered from their pain. We should be thankful that their life was you know, well spent for the glory of God. But I'm not convinced that a post-mortem event is appropriate for celebration, at least not biblically. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, I just think it's, I think it's unusual. Uh, the only post-mortem celebrations that I can think of in the Bible was when Miriam celebrated the death of Pharaoh and his army and when Deborah celebrated the death of Sisera uh, in his army. Uh, these were both the wicked abusers and the oppressors of Israel at the death of which Miriam and Deborah sang for joy. But when it comes to the people of God, there are no occasions in the Bible where they gathered in celebration after the passing of a loved one. And besides, whenever I attend a celebration of life, it, it feels like we're avoiding the issue. In the scriptures, we see that people were troubled by what death subtracted from them. And so they mourned, often for weeks on end. So whatever people want to call a memorial, if the immediate family is actually mourning, don't make it something it's not. Mourn with them. In the real world, when someone is in a legitimate state of mourning and you come to them rejoicing, you will just further injure them. 
And the opposite, the opposite is true as well. If someone is rejoicing for a legitimate reason and you come with a wet blanket, you'll quench their joy. And it's, I don't think it's okay. Uh, but also, this whole thing is not without complications. Uh, I was once officiating a wedding for some friends and at the same time, another friend of mine was in pain, dying in the hospital. The couple, of course, was rejoicing together as they were becoming heirs together of the grace of life. And the context really was only appropriate for celebration, while the family of the dying were rightfully mourning. But I was caught in the middle. What do I do? So I asked God for grace that I might rejoice with my friends who were getting married until I could mourn with my friends who were hurting. I knew that I had no right to bring one context into the other. Both were sacred, and, and really neither one should be contaminated by the other. The news of each could wait for an appropriate time. So I rejoiced at one time at one location, and then I mourned in the next. But just imagine how wrong it would have been for me to mingle the two, especially with the news of my friend who was suffering on the, end, on the edge of death. And oh, by the way, before we get into your vows, my friend is, is suffering greatly and may already be dead, and his family's besides themselves. Uh, should we exchange the rings now? Uh, that is not the time to invite people to weep with you. When it comes to the body of Christ, when we are with those who are rejoicing over what should be celebrated, uh, we should rejoice with them. A dark cloud at that moment would be inappropriate. And we should be uh, ever so cautious about rejoicing when people are mourning. Uh, I think this is all very important to our parenting and our discipleship. Uh, this is something our children should be taught from a young age, especially when it comes to their siblings. Uh, this will prepare them for uh, Christian adulthood. Uh, uh, children have a tendency to be jealous when they are overlooked and their sibling is blessed. And of course, we've wrestled with this with our children. Uh, when I would take one of the kids out on a date, the other child would sulk and complain and sometimes even be a bit mean, even though last week they got to go with dad while their siblings stayed home. Our children, from early on, they need to be taught the virtue of celebrating with others who are blessed even when they are overlooked. And we as their parents should be modeling what it is to graciously be second, uh, to be overlooked, to be last, even when it's not fair. I mean, there is great virtue in letting others go before you. Uh, Paul said that we should even consider others as being more important than ourselves. It shows great maturity in Christ when we rejoice that others have succeeded beyond us or they were promoted before us even when we deserved it. And we should teach our children that they don't live in a world of entitlement and that when others are blessed above themselves, it's not a time to sulk. It's a time to rejoice with those other people. But of course, there are things as Christians that we cannot celebrate ever. Uh, we should never rejoice with those who are rejoicing over evil. Uh, just a few verses earlier, Paul told us that Christians should abhor evil. And the Greek word means to uh, not just hate something, but uh, in the process of hating it, you should be repelled from it. You should stay away from it. Verse 9. Paul told the Corinthians that love never rejoices in evil, but rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 12.6. In fact, 
The Christian should fill his mind with truth that is noble and just, pure and lovely, with reports of good things that are virtuous and praiseworthy. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We should meditate on those things. We should so fill our minds with those things that there's no room for anything else. And if we do that, our rejoicing with others will be in keeping with Christ. If our minds are properly trained in the scriptures, we can never rejoice with those who celebrate the legalization of something immoral or with a believer who wants us to celebrate their immoral decisions or lifestyle. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, instead of weeping over sin in the church, the Corinthians were celebrating sin as some form of Christian liberty. Uh, and as you know, as we went through uh, 1 Corinthians, um, there's so many problems, uh, things that the church was involved in that uh, today uh, it's hard for us to even imagine. But for them, uh, it seemed to be commonplace until Paul uh, wrote 1 Corinthians. But what they were doing is they were celebrating the actions of a sexually immoral person who attended the church. And they were no doubt hoping that Paul were, would celebrate with them as they were celebrating. And, but instead, uh, they got rebuked and they were called to repentance. There was no way that Paul could participate uh, in their celebration. But the good thing is, is by the time Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the church and the immoral person, both of them had repented and obeyed Paul's instruction. And then they all had something worthy to celebrate. So when it's right, we should join the party. But when it's wrong, we must abstain. When it's morally and biblically appropriate, uh, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. So uh, be wise, I think Paul is saying, but be sensitive to others and what they're going through. <clears throat> now, uh, I had thought about going into verse 16 as well, but uh, there's so many things from that verse that I would like to talk about, uh, and so we'll have to save that for next week. Now, uh, I hope that, again, that the things that we've been talking about on Thursday nights um, have been uh, thought-provoking to you. Uh, they've been uh, encouraging conversation within your family, uh, but even more so that uh, these practical issues that Paul talks about, uh, that they are, that you, all of us, have become more intentional about putting into practice. So, um, yeah, so Lord bless you guys as a family and your studies together. And, um, yeah, just praying that when we get to back together, um, It'll just be sweet, and, but we'll see. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and I'll let you get to your families, perhaps even dinner by this time. I uh, look forward to dinner myself. So let's pray. Well, Father, um, again, Lord, your word is good, and uh, for people like us, Lord, for people that are broken by sin, we, we need your direction. We need to be reminded um, and some of us, Lord, oftentimes myself, just need to be informed for the first time. But Lord, also, we don't just need to be informed. We need to be uh, invigorated by your grace, by your spirit, to live according to the information. And uh, Lord, some of the things that we've talked about, um, 
They're, they're hard. I'd say they're hard sayings, uh, especially perhaps maybe last week in our discussion about the context of the Christian's behavior and persecution. Uh, but Lord, really none of these things are optional for those who name the name of Christ, who profess faith. Uh, we call you Lord because uh, we want to obey you. We intend to obey you. And so I pray that you would, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit fresh, that you'd grant us grace, Lord, to live according to your word. Help us, I pray, Lord, that, that in the context of rejoicing that we would behave appropriately as well in the context of mourning and weeping. Help us to be well-rounded in our, our Christianity so that we might glorify you, so that we might be um, an instrument of edification for others. And Lord, I pray that uh, for the next uh, undetermined time that you would be with us, uh, that you would uh, get us through this time where we truly are lacking the fellowship that you intended for us. I pray that our leaders, Lord, would come to decisions that are directed by you, that have, uh, whether, well, probably inadvertently, Lord, your glory in mind, the good of people. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that we as leaders of the church, that uh, we could come to uh, wise decisions that are directed by your spirit, uh, so that when we do get back together, Lord, it truly is a blessing for all. So we love you, and uh, we thank you, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, again, we do love you, and we look forward to being with you. I just um, encourage you to, uh, to trust the Lord and uh, stick with it, and we'll be back together soon. All right, bye-bye.